Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. want us to consider this evening that area of holiness in our lives personally. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in Colossians and then go to 1 Peter in considering how can we be grounded in Christ in a chaotic world and really the importance of that aspect of personal holiness. This morning we talked about the, the area of, of being ready to listen, the parable of the soils, and that of the four types of soil, three of them had distractions. One that was the hard soil that wouldn't even receive the seed of God's word. The other was shallow. There was no real root. The other was choked off by the cares, crowded out by cares of this world, the desires for wealth. And then finally, that fourth one was the good soil. And the, the picture there is that only one of those soils really represents true, genuine salvation. Well, the soil for spiritual fruitfulness is the soil of holiness. When we have trusted Christ as our personal Savior to bring forth fruit, there is that desire for growing to be like Christ. And what I want us to consider this evening from this passage is that in order for the church to glorify God, you must daily please the Lord with a holy life. That has to be our desire, and we see that here in, in Colossians and, and the call to that. And, and really the question, first of all, is what does it mean to be holy? The idea of holiness means set apart, that, that God is holy. He's, he's separate from the creation. He's not part of the creation, and he's separate from corruption. And that we are called then to be separate from corruption, to be like him. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. I'm going to begin in Colossians 1, beginning at verse 9. We're going to look at these verses down through verse 14. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and in increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power with, for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. In these verses, we, we see what we sang about at the beginning of the service, the victory that we have. That if we are on the Lord's side, that, that He has called us and we are now saints in the light. It's an interesting statement, that word saint. And to, to use that, and to use that for believers, it, it's really as we are called to be saints, it's a statement that we're to live out practically where we are positionally. That through salvation, we are saints. We are, we are set apart ones. And so we're, we're called to live that out then in our daily lives. 
And as we look at this, it really goes to verse 10, speaks of that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. How do we make decisions in life? I'm not talking about the big ticket items, the big issue decisions, the you know, job situations for our young people, who I'm going to marry, buying a house, and, and things like that. I, I'm talking about, because usually in those, we ask for wisdom, we, we seek input, we, we pray about it, we seek counsel. But what about the mundane choices, the, the everyday choices that we have, the, the things that, you know, our entertainment, what we listen to, our, our friends, you know, where we go, who we meet, what we wear, even what we eat. You say, well, does it really matter? Well, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do we, do we even think about that? When, when it comes to these, well, I think if we, we know what might be the right answer, but realistically, the answer is probably we do what we want. We make the decisions based on what we want. And that's where we have to be very careful. Because is what we want based on pleasing the Lord or biblical principle, or is it really just giving in to our desires? One person put it this way. If your body makes all the decisions and gives all the orders, and if you obey, the physical can effectively destroy every other dimension of your personality. Your emotional life will be blunted and your spiritual life will be stifled and ultimately will be anemic. So how do we make our choices? You know, the question really is, are, are we seeking to endeavor to live daily in a way that will please the Lord? And then a follow-up to that is, are we striving to be holy? That a Christ-centered, a Christ-pleasing walk will be de- demonstrated in being discerning, in displaying spiritual progress and being directed by biblical principles. There are several levels of understanding this as if we're going to live in a way that pleases the Lord. The the first level is we've got to know right from wrong. How are we going to be discerning? Hebrews chapter 5 says that solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, those who are mature spiritually, That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. That because of practice, we learn what is right and wrong. This this is really the foundational level of of decision making. And, And notice that discernment comes by making the right choices. Those who by reason of practice have their senses exercised. When I was a youth pastor, I would, would often get asked the question, what's wrong with, and then you can fill in the blank. You know, there'd be all sorts of different things that would be brought up. And, and, and many times, that's a fair question to ask what is wrong, but the question I would have is, what's the motivation behind the question? And sometimes I would follow that up and say, okay, let me ask you this. I'm more than willing to discuss that area, but let me ask you, are you already doing things in that area that you know are wrong? or that you're disobeying your parents in that area? Because if the answer to those is yes, then really you're not seeking to discern good and evil. You're just looking for loopholes. And God's will is not a smorgasbord where he puts it out there on the spiritual table and says, you can pick and choose what you want. A walk that pleases the Lord is following him and doing what honors him, taking time to be holy, regardless of how my flesh feels about it. 
So the first question is, is knowing, the first level of discernment is knowing what's right and wrong. The second one is determining what is excellent. And Philippians 1 speaks of this, that, I, that, that this I pray, that your love will abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve, that you may test and approve the things that are excellent, that you would be sincere, blameless, without offense, until the day of Christ. Moving beyond what's right and wrong, because our desire should be, I want to do what's right, is determining what's excellent. That, that's not necessarily a right and wrong, but what's better. And then the third level of that is what we see in Colossians 1 verse 10, is that we are striving to fully please the Lord. That God will be pleased with my everyday life. That, that the Lord is pleased, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him every day. And being fruitful in every good work. So it goes beyond what's right and wrong. It, it goes to, is He pleased with what I do day by day? In those choices, in what I say. And understanding that. And, and so Paul is greeting these people at the church at Colossae by highlighting that they are holy people. He, he says in the very first, or second verse, the first verse is introducing himself and Timothy, and says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. You're in Christ, that is your spiritual location, and in Colossae, that was their physical location. That if you have trusted Christ, you are a saint in Chandler right now. And, and this is what he's pointing out. You are saints and faithful brethren in Christ. And so that, that in Christ is our holy position. That, that really is our justification that when Christ is in us, that is the working out of our sanctification. And that is the call to be holy. And so Paul is praying that they will grow in their spiritual maturity. And that spiritual growth is what we see here in verse 10, that, that they will be faithful in service, fruitful in every good work. We, we talked about that this morning, about the, the soil that bears fruit. And every true believer will bring forth fruit. Not the same amounts, but there will be a fruitfulness. That is what we are called to. And so we, we move beyond what's right and wrong and good and best to, is Christ pleased with me today? with what I've done, with my attitude, with what I've said. That that, that is the new walk, the walking worthy, that, that we, we're reminded of this every time we have a baptismal service. That, that That is that statement that they are buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in a new way of living. And that walk ought to be that he is pleased. And then he goes on and says, an increasing in the knowledge of God. That getting to, to know who God is and that experiential knowledge, that, that development of an, of an outworking in our life. It's not merely intellectual, it's ethical that he's pleased with how we walk. And, and as it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching which we handed over to you. Well, that's, that's what we're seeking to do. And then in verse 11, he says, you're strengthened with all might. So, so there's this aspect of being fruitful in service, increasing in knowledge, and strengthened spiritually. And verse 11 uses several words for that. The strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. 
How's that evidenced? Verse 11 tells us, in all patience and long-suffering. That there's a, a long-suffering with joy. That patience is that, that emotional calm that when something irritates us, when we're provoked, when, when we want to respond, well, that we're responding in patience. You know, that we, we all experience that from time to time. You know, it may be driving. It's always a great opportunity with the traffic and, and the frustration. Or, or maybe there's, there's that irritation. Maybe there's that, that person when their name shows up in your caller on your phone, it's like, oh no, what's coming? You know, maybe it's an employer or an employee or a coworker or, or a sibling or, or somebody else. And, 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 and before we get too smug and say, yeah, I know who that person is, realize we may be that person for somebody else. So, so we want to show the patience to them that we want them to show to us as well. But what this is speaking of is there's a power for coping with challenging and emotional situations in a way that will please the Lord. And we're being controlled by him. So, so a Christ-pleasing walk is characterized by living by biblical principle and seeking to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it, it's not legalism to say I need to guard my life when I'm seeking to please the Lord. It's not moralism when my goal is to please the Lord. And that's what we're called to. Let me have you turn now to 1 Peter. And I want us to, to see this in the application here in 1 Peter. That what we need to understand is our, is our heavenly Father is concerned about our spiritual health when we are his children. God has a divine allergic reaction to sin. There is no sin that he can just say, oh, it's no big deal, I'm not going to worry about that. Because all of it goes against his nature. And so because we are his children as believers, and I'm taking that assumption that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then we are called to be holy as he is holy. And it's interesting because there are several exhortations in this passage that I want us to consider here this evening. If you have your Bibles open, look with me at 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought unto you by the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. This is the call that we have. We are called to be holy. Now it's interesting that, that although there are, there are several exhortations in these verses, in verses 13, really down through verse 17, there are only three commands, imperatives that are given. One in verse 13, one in verse 15, the final one is in verse 17. And, and they, they help us understand what that call to holiness looks like in this text and, and why we need to be holy. The first thing that we see is that we're to live with a holy attitude. Verse 13 says, therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober 
and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are actually three exhortations in this verse, but only one of them is the imperative. And it's probably not the one that we might go to initially, though I've highlighted it there on the the screen. It's rest your hope fully upon the grace that's been brought to you. We, we may think, well, it's gird up the loins of my, my mind. Get those loose ends in control. But it's really focused on the hope. What is it that grounds us in a chaotic world? It's the hope that God's in control. That Christ is our Savior. That, that all things work together for His glory and our good when we love Him. And recognizing that. But, but there are several things that have to be done if we're going to truly hope. The, the first one is, is that we have to discipline our thinking. The, the idea of girding up the loins of your mind. The, in the first century imagery, the, the long flowing robes that they would have. And the idea was to take the, the loose ends of that long ankle length garment and tuck it into the belt so that, it, that it's girded up. So there's no loose ends. We, we would say roll up your sleeves. The idea would be as they're, they're walking and talking to bring that all together and to, to tuck in those loose ends so their legs are free so they could move. I mean, this is the picture that Peter is giving us for preparing our minds. Do, do we discipline our thoughts or is it just wherever they go? You know, roll up the mental sleeves. Prepare your mind for action. By setting our hope on Jesus Christ, we have to discipline our thinking. And and again, when we talk this morning about the cares of this world, what are the cares that flood into our minds? The, The uncertainties, the doubts, the fears, desires of the world. Don't be double minded. We have to control our thinking. We have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I mean, the the hope happens when your mind is girded by truth. When we hem in the the loose thoughts, well, what if this happens in in the economy and in the election? And what if this happens in this part of the world? I saw a headline today that we may be on the verge of World War III. It's like, okay, you start thinking that way and it can become very unsettling. It's like, But when you realize nothing can happen in the future that God doesn't already know. And we can trust him. And and though difficulties will come, he will never leave us or forsake us. Well, those are calming thoughts because that's the truth of God's word. And and we need to think that way. If if you don't develop a holy attitude by filling your mind with with God's word and fill them with the things of the world, we're not going to live holy. If we're going to be amused by the things of this world, we're we're not going to have disciplined thinking. You know, we, we need to wash our minds with the word. You know, most of us try to wash our hands regularly. Do you do the same thing with washing your mind with the word of God? You know, we go into fast food restaurants and you go in their restrooms and they have signs that employees must wash their hands before returning to work. It's like, it it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that they have to remind them of that. It's like, but do we wash our minds before going into the world? You know, we live in a day when, when if we're not careful, Christians don't think like Christians. So we need to discipline our thinking then we also need to straighten our thinking, be sober. I mean, what does this mean in real life? It means have a clear head. 
to, to have your mind clear, to think straight. Gird, if one girds up the, the loins of their mind and ready for action, then they need to know the path and to have clear vision on that. What it's really speaking of is being spiritually alert. In fact, Peter talks about this several times in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious, sober-minded, and watchful in your prayers. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. If you're not clear-headed, your enemy is going to destroy you. He, he's looking for those opportunities And so we have to cast aside those vain philosophy, the deceitful worlds, the words of the world. You know, a a drunk person doesn't think clearly. Their vision is is clouded. Their, Their thinking is impaired. They're not sober. That's the call, to be sober. That we have to think clearly. That we want to apply God's word properly properly and in doing so then we have a hope there's an anticipation that hope a hope-filled person is a holy person because when we hope in Christ everyone who has this hope in him will purify himself even as he is pure first John 3 tells us so we understand this That holiness consists of that internal change or renovation of our souls whereby our minds and our affections and wills are brought into harmony with God. That we're walking in a way that is pleasing to Him day by day. So it begins with a holy attitude. It's followed with holy actions. And this is what we saw in verses 14 through 16. That that as obedient children, and again it's that call to those who want to obey, If we're just asking because we want to pick and choose, then don't expect God to reveal his will. But as obedient children, we're not conformed to the former desires in our ignorance as unsaved people. But he who's called us as holy, we're to be holy in our conduct because it is written, be ye holy. So we we see a couple of things here. We're to display conduct that is appropriate for our new family relationship. That our Heavenly Father wants us to be like Him. As obedient children. Holiness is the characteristic of children of obedience. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. And and holiness means we're going to change and grow. Because it's a, a family trait of the children of God. We see also that we have to discard conformity that was fitting of our former desires, not conforming to the former lusts, that, those former desires. Before salvation, our desires were based in ignorance. We assumed that the things of this world were what we're going to satisfy. And our culture is ignorant of God's holiness. In fact, they despise God's holiness. But holiness is displayed in our conduct in our entertainment, in our words, in our attitudes. Because we don't want to behave like the unsaved, but to be like the children of God. And in doing so, then we duplicate the character of our Heavenly Father. As he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy. Now, I, I said earlier that God's holiness is he's separate from creation and separate from corruption. 
His, there are attributes of God, his all-knowing, his being everywhere, his eternality that we cannot emulate. But his attributes of goodness, we can, and we're, we're called to. So the, 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 the child's prayer, God is great, God is good. Well, those characteristics, those attributes of his goodness are what we are called to emulate because we are his children. And God does not conform to the stand, a standard of holiness. He is the standard of holiness. We have to strive to be like him, to be set apart, to be morally blameless, to be righteous, to be pure, to be kind because we want to be like our heavenly father you know when our when our kids were were growing up we had expectations for our children in their attitudes and awareness that that we didn't have for other kids but we expected them of our kids because they were endings and and it really it's not an issue what the the neighbor kids are doing we'll just decide whether or not you can play with them based on what they're doing but we're going to deal with our kids. Well, God's going to deal with his kids. And so if we belong to him, he, he's calling us to this aspect. And so we're, we're, to, to, we're called to live with holy actions. And then the third thing that we see is we're to live with holy awareness. And that's what we see in verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here with fear. That we're called for a purpose. We're to conduct ourselves and we're to conduct ourselves in fear. Now, the idea here, we, we normally think of fear as, as a negative thing and, de- and debilitating. And there is that aspect. But this is a healthy fear. It's a positive fear. It's an awareness of who God is that causes us to be cautious. I, I shared an illustration in, in uh, TCA Chapel recently of when I was a teenager, I, uh, I would mow a lot of lawns in our neighborhood. And right across the street from our house, there was a lawn that, that had a hill going down to a river. And, and it was a, a decent grade. And of course, when you're mowing lawns as a kid, you don't want to wear your good shoes because they're going to get all grass-stained. So the tennis shoes that I wore usually didn't have much traction. And when you're on a hill with a lawnmower and no traction, I had a healthy fear of that lawnmower. I, I knew those blades were something to be very careful of. So I would go back and forth, not up and down, because I didn't want to slip. Well, when you have an understanding of God's holiness, you have a healthy fear that you don't want to cross into something that's going to hurt you. Because God is calling us to be holy because that's where we find joy and happiness and where he's glorified. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of humility that brings wisdom, Proverbs tells us. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12 tells us the fear that the end of everything, after the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes goes through all the things he's tried for happiness and hasn't found them, says in, in chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. So we're called to conduct ourselves during our life, our stay here in fear. And in doing so, we will bring honor and glory to him, and it's for our good. The fear of the Lord is healthy, it's wholesome, it leads to blessings, it leads to security. 
And this text helps us to understand that for our spiritual health, we must demonstrate that personal holiness in our attitudes, our actions, our awareness that, that God is a holy judge. And so we, we strive to be holy. So how do we do that? Well, we recognize that this is a privileged relationship that we've been called to. That, that we are called, and notice it began, and if or since you call on the Father. Why the word and? Because they are holy, even as the one who's called them. He began by saying you've been set apart. If you're saved, you are called to be a saint. You are set apart. And so we're to live in that way. They are, they are holy as the one who has called them. And then we're to respond with proper reverence. Both aspects of this are, are brought out. And that is that, that healthy, holy fear that is a spirit of reverence. It's a recognizing of God's greatness and yet he has called us. And it ought to bring that spiritual health and challenge us to live for his glory. So, so how can we do this practically? Let me, just, let me just give you some things that I think will help us. That Understanding that he who most entirely agrees with God is going to be the most holy man. J.C. Ryle in his book on holiness. So this is why we're seeking to please God in our everyday life. It's that call to personal holiness. It is seeking to, to follow those aspects. And we can do this in, by doing several things. One, read God's word. We, we've stressed this. We continue to. But it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, just across the page in my Bible, it begins in verse 1, Therefore laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envying, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How does a baby desire milk? Well, they let you know. And if you do that, you taste that the Lord is gracious. So we have to be in God's word. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That God's word washes us. That as we're in God's word, that, that it is going to change us. We, we need God's word to be holy. And if we're, if we're not going to take time in God's word, we're not going to be holy. And we're not going to be girding up the loins of our minds. And we're not going to be hopeful. Because it really is God's word that readjusts our thinking and brings us to that position. We also need to say no to sin. We have to shut the door to sin. It says in Romans 6, 11, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. That when sin comes, we need to say, no, I'm not doing that. One of the Puritans said that, that when, when sin comes, when we sin, we're in essence saying that God isn't there. Because when we understand that he's present and he's powerful and he calls us to be holy, he gives us the strength. It isn't a sin when temptation knocks at the door, but don't open the door and invite it in. Say, well, we're just going to sit and talk. No, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the desires thereof. We need to be on guard. I would say as well, we, we need to seek fellowship with believers. That is one of the reasons it is so important to have a church family. 
It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why is this necessary? Because we're all going to be influenced by one another. We all influence others either toward holiness or away from holiness. And our friends are going to help us become more like Christ or they're going to be a a problem in that. They're going to be an obstacle in our spiritual walk. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil company corrupts good habits. Bad company corrupts good morals is the idea there. But Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So, so we need to fellowship with people who are striving to grow in Christ-likeness and, and encouraging one another. And if you see somebody like that asking them, so, so tell me about your devotional life. Tell me about your prayer life. What a great way to learn what, what's going on in their life that you can glean from and fellowship with other believers that we can grow together. And then understand that we have to begin now. Don't procrastinate. Somebody's joked that, that the definition of a diet is something that starts tomorrow. You know, no, holiness needs to start now. As he who has called you, walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him. Holiness is not a list, it's a life. And it's a life that begins with Christ and it continues in Christ. I think it it was Martin Luther who said, you in Christ is justification. Christ in you is sanctification. That, That when we come to Christ for our salvation, we are saints. We are set apart. Now we're to live it out. We're called to be saints, so live saintly. That's Christ in us, that's sanctification. Demonstrate the calling that we have and that we would live for him. You know, God, God's called us to be holy. And so your, your holiness is, is for your good and his glory. That we, we have to think that way. When we are holy, we look like Christ. We're called to be conformed to the image of his son and and all things work together for good to those who love him, those who are called, and that is the goal, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Our holiness is really an evidence of our justification that we are in Christ. And, And it's necessary to be effective in serving him. That our our holy life is what advances the gospel. And then it's also how we're going to influence others. That you will either influence them to grow in holiness or you're going to hinder them in their growth in holiness. And therefore we strive to be holy as he who has called us. Why? Because we're his dear children. As obedient children that we would be holy. So how are we growing in holiness tonight? Will you commit to live for his glory. In order for our church to glorify God, we each need to strive to live daily a life that pleases the Lord because we're taking time to be holy. Will we commit to do that? Let's look to the Lord.